AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So John, uh, we have a story about some Oracle and SAP vulnerabilities. Uh, we do. So Oracle SAP is like a business automation, customer relation management piece of software um, that Oracle sells. It's very popular in businesses. And uh, some of these businesses have these exposed to the internet. And there's been a few vulnerabilities, uh, two notable ones that are pretty old. Yeah. Um, one of them, which is the invoker servlet vulnerability is I think from like 2010. But the problem is, is that a lot of people have not um, applied the patches. There's a new report that came out about it, kind of reminding people, hey, if you haven't updated yet and patched your SAP installations, you really should, because we can see that there are, you know, a decent number of these still out there open on the internet. To be clear, these aren't traditional Oracle DBs. This is the ERP product, right? Right, the, the, right. It's resource like planning? Yeah, it's yeah. like a customer relationship management yeah. piece of software. Right, okay. right. It's not the database, not Oracle right. database yeah. itself. A lot of these servers, they house business intelligence and customer relationship data. Uh, lots of customer data would be stored in there, so that could be bind off and harvested if the target you know, had a lot of that data in there. So that's a potential vulnerability. So uh, you know, to give backstory, vulnerabilities were you know, announced way back in 2010. I want to say like 2013, 2014, I believe US CERT actually put out a bulletin about it. Um, and every couple of years, it seems like they keep kind of reminding everybody, hey, this vulnerability is out there, you really should patch. Because yeah. there are a bunch of actors out there that are looking for these um, servers that are vulnerable and exploiting them so that they can use them for their own things. Well, so I guess install malware point, or do whatever they want. At this point, a malicious actor probably figures if they're not patched now, nobody's right. ever going to yeah, patch. It's eight these years things. since yeah. you know. So it's really up to the people themselves to you know get themselves patched um, before you know something bad happens to them if it hasn't already. The other thing I would say is not just SAP. You know, make sure that all of your internet-facing stuff. First of all, if it doesn't need to be internet-facing, yeah. disable it. So. Right, and I think that's a trade-off. If you have something that maybe you can't upgrade because it's mission critical or it affects your uh, manufacturing process and you're, you're, too, you're worried about upgrading it, right. then, then maybe look into does it really need to be connected to the internet. Right. At least reduce your exposure if you can't reduce your you know, vulnerability. Your risk, right, yeah. right. Uh, I completely agree. Um, so yeah, patch if you can, and if you can't, assess whether it needs to be on the internet. If it does, or people from the internet need to reach it, maybe put something in there with a firewall or something to stately only allow oh, yeah. certain IP address ranges to allow to talk to it. Right, so, so would that, that be the, the process? If, if let's say you have a manufacturing setup with this ERP product from Oracle SAP that can't be touched, mm -hmm. can you surround it with something? Is that what you think? You IP filter on the yeah, outside? Yeah, you can throw a firewall in front of okay. it, sure. If it's not gonna be patched, you know, either take it off the network completely or put another security device between this software and the network? Uh, but it's a really trivially easy exploit. Oh, okay. Um, and it does give you basically like a remote command shell, like instantly, uh, to the device uh, because of this invoker server vulnerability. So I highly recommend people um, patch it and heed DHS's advice. 
heed the U.S. CERT bulletin um, and make sure that, uh, you know, if you're not, and the other thing is some companies aren't even aware that they might have some old system that is, that is internet facing. They might not even think it is. Maybe they don't have good uh, inventory processes and stuff of that nature. So I would recommend you, Shodan, or Census, which are these free services out there, to assess whether you're exposing things that you're not expecting to be exposed to the internet. Right. It all comes down to how diligent the company is, how many resources they have, um, how organized they are, how good of asset inventory they have, uh, to make sure that you know when an exposure comes out for a particular piece of software, they can really quickly say, how much of this do we have deployed and what servers is it on, so that we can make sure we get those patches applied in the right places as quick as possible. Hey Joe, so I understand you're looking into a story about the Felix Root malware backdoor and it's resurfaced? Yeah, so in September of last year, FireEye found Felix Root as a backdoor delivering a payload um, targeting uh, Ukrainian banks. And now it's come up more recently as part of a environmental protection uh, email campaign. So, you know, it's the same backdoor, the same file, you know, the same content within the, the attachment, but it's sort of a new targeted area. It's Russian language, so it's targeted potentially at Russian-speaking individuals. But, you know, so it's the same Felix Root backdoor. You know, this backdoor can do uh, fingerprinting of systems. It can potentially drop and execute more malware. It could do remote shell or, uh, you know, potentially even exfiltration. So pretty powerful, you know, vulnerability here, um, kind of a weaponized uh, attachment situation. Uh, both of the Microsoft Office vulnerabilities have been patched. Uh, FireEye in their research you know, points to the fact that their tool would have caught this, of right, course. Right. But, uh, but the patches are out there, so it's, it's another one similar to the, um, you know, the Oracle one we mentioned where the, the patches have been there and the vulnerability is not brand new, it's just a matter of people protecting themselves, so. The interesting thing to me about it is that they're actually using weaponized Word docs, trying to exploit vulnerabilities that allow the, once you open the document file, to install the malware um, immediately without the user taking any action. You know, you'll get a Word document, you'll open it up, and it'll have like a big arrow pointing at the top that says, in order to see the rest of this document, you know, enable scripting at the yeah. top, and you have to explicitly enable it. So what they were doing is actually trying to exploit um, some vulnerabilities that allow that to happen automatically if you're running an older version or an unpatched version of Microsoft Word okay. uh, that would allow that to happen. So that's a little interesting. That's more advanced, so to speak, uh, because you're actually trying to like put a, uh, a weaponized payload inside the document as opposed to coercing somebody or tricking them into to clicking on it. And uh, like you said, it looks like they've transitioned from using a lure that was maybe some sort of fake banking document right to a fake environmental research or environmental impact type spams. Yeah. So maybe whoever they're targeting, maybe there's some reason for that, um, that they might feel like people would open those. If you get an email from somebody you don't expect to get it from, you know, probably just delete it. Um, if it has an attachment, don't open it. You know, don't open attachments from people that uh, in emails from people that you're not expecting to get. It sounds like this Felix Root toolkit sounds a lot like a rat type of functionality, remote administration toolkit, so it's got a lot of that similar functionality. 
the FireEye report, I glanced through it. It's pretty detailed, it looks yeah. very good. Uh, they broke down all the functionality, the command and controls, what you should look for right. uh, yeah, in terms of indicators. They tell you what indicators. all the parameters are, exactly which piece of the, which file is doing which, you know, there's a link file, and then there's the actual backdoor file, and what each piece of it does. See, the FireEye blog yeah, post is pretty. Yeah, and they show pretty. some C2 traffic, too, so you can kind of yeah. get a sense of what that might, how it might manifest in your network logs, because they do some interesting HTTP, but then they encrypt the payload, and then they base64 encode it and jam it into a regular HTTP uh, session, so it, it's unusual, it's right. not normal. HTML uh, type going back and forth. So uh, definitely, you know, these types of things, there's a lot of these types of rats out there, but uh, so keeping it top, on top of them, understanding um, whether or not they're in your network is an important thing, and this is a good one maybe, um, you know, to have your team look at and uh, research to understand how these things might, um, uh, you know, manifest from stage zero all the way to opening the document, dropping an implant on the machine, and then the C2 action happening. So right. it's an yep. interesting one to look at. I agree. So the two uh, vulnerabilities, the CVEs from Microsoft Office products uh, have been patched. So this is another one where the patches are out there. You just got to go get them. You got to go patch Office. You know, you, you want to protect yourself from this backdoor if, if at all possible. So we're joined today by Umail Swarnum and Jason Robbins. Umail is part of our intern program here at AT&T, and I think uh, Jason is her mentor, and they're going to talk to us about medical IoT. So can you guys uh, tell us what we're going to hear about today? Sure. Thanks for inviting us uh, to be on the show. I have one of the best jobs in the world here at AT&T. Um, I'm a lead in the chief security office, and I have responsibility for security architecture and integration for all of our IoT products and services. And as you indicated, this summer, um, I've had the privilege of working with uh, Ms. Umail Swarnam, who participated in the AT&T Technology Development Program. And she's currently a graduate student studying biomedical engineering at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. And this summer, uh, our work has really been focused on connected medical device security. So, Umail, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, so medical Internet of Things, also known as medical IoT devices, are gaining a lot of traction in the new IoT landscape. It's interesting because as we advance in medical technologies and IoT devices, we also see a lot of um, prevalent security threats that we need to learn how to mitigate before it becomes harmful to people. To um, give a little overview of what common vulnerabilities could be with medical IoT devices, we can walk through an example. Um, one of the things that I researched this summer was a theoretical system for diabetic patients, and it's a connected insulin injector. So a common vulnerability for this device, and with many more other medical devices, would be spoofing which is essentially manipulating or changing data that's um, logged from this device itself. So this could mean that we're log improperly logging the blood sugar levels of patients, which would in turn incorrectly prescribe the dosage amounts for insulin, causing hyperglycemia or hypoglycemia. So to mitigate attacks like spoofing, uh, it would be recommended to encrypt all data, especially like any medical IoT device-related data that's being transmitted. In addition to spoofing, 
There's many other types of risks like wireless eavesdropping, repudiation, information disclosure, or even elevation of privileges. But a lot of them depend on the type of connectivity that you're using, and commonly medical IoT devices use Bluetooth. And a recent attack that's been reported with IoT devices regarding Bluetooth it was called Blueborn. These Blueborn attacks are essentially allow attackers to exploit unsecured device pairing methods and essentially allow them to have remote access as a third-party user. So an example would be with our device, if an unauthorized party were to access and manipulate the data, you could cause denial of service, repudiation, or even um, changes to administrative privileges while delivering a certain dosage of insulin. To mitigate issues like this, it would be recommended to use different types of cryptography measures like asymmetric cryptography. In addition to that, we have wireless eavesdropping, repudiation, and other risks that I had mentioned earlier that may also occur from unsecured device pairing. It would be important to log all the data that is being transmitted in order to ensure for risk monitoring, especially when you can tell that there's something going wrong. It's a, a great way to react quickly before there's other consequences, especially relating to the patient's health. So we've looked at some more software-based uh, vulnerabilities, but a more hardware-based vulnerability would be direct device tampering and physical tampering of the device itself. So it's really important to set locks and switches physically on the device when it's primarily first configured. And this way, we could limit third-party users to misconfigure the device and make it inoperable as per the intended use was. And also implementing an alert system for the patient or healthcare provider to detect if anything has been misconfigured would be helpful too. And in summary, with medical IoT devices, in technology and the vulnerabilities that we see, they are really similar to connected cars, connected city devices, or other connected smart technologies. So it's really important to follow the trends of security vulnerabilities and what recent attackers have been looking at and find mitigations to lower the risk as much as possible. All right, so we want you to take this security focus back to your school and make sure that all your teachers and your classmates are thinking about security when they're using these connected devices or if you have any you know, computer science classes that everybody's coding in security practices because we we're trying to get the word out to you know, fix these security holes and secure the devices and secure the code so we, we have less show to do here. <laughs> in the IoT space in general, which has exploded over the past 10 years, in the medical sector, like you've been looking in here, um, there's so many surfaces that have like evolved over the past few years that I never even predicted. So uh, I have a CPAP device and that you know is IoT based and it cellularly transmits all the data up to my doctor. And that's one of the benefits I see, like this rush for medical to IoT is in my opinion, uh, one of the driving factors is to get the doctors and healthcare providers um, able to monitor and um, you know, perhaps update the configuration for their patients uh, on a real time basis. 
But I'm, in terms of security, I mean, talk about an area where there's a heightened level of right. security with privacy, HIPAA, you know, the, the security concerns here are at another level from the typical internet-facing device and websites that we usually talk about, because right. this is, like you said, this is a potentially something inside your body or that's, you know, taking very personal measurements. Um, High so, potential for risk if things absolutely. go wrong, right, yeah. to life. Um, so, you know, thankfully, we have young, smart yeah. people. Talent. Our talent is what we have our best people working <laughs> right, on. Right, we have our best people working on this uh, in on the ground floor. So that's really good. And I'm encouraged to see that, you know, um, you're so well versed in this. Plus, you have that bioengineering background. So I think that's uh, really encouraging. Can you tell us a little bit about your intern experience? Have you gotten a lot of interesting work done and it's been a, a, a good experience? Or what, what do you make of your time here with AT&T? Yeah, so this is, um, I'm actually returning as an intern here this summer. And last summer I worked with the Medical Foundry from Houston. So that was a really cool introduction experience to hands-on working with medical IoT devices directly rather than working on a device, understanding how it connects afterwards. So that was really cool. And as an add-on this summer, to have the opportunity to actually work with a security team that does specialize in IoT security too uh, has re really like broadened my knowledge base too with um, IoT devices in general and medical IoT devices. And it's really interesting to me how even if the applications are different, the security threats and categories that are documented from application to application overlap a lot. And you can learn a lot from different domains too. Yeah, just to jump in here real quick, you know, we wanted to expose Amile to the theory of information security, but we also wanted to give her some hands-on experience. So, you know, we've turned up a, a virtual machine lab where we've had uh, Kali Linux and other open source security tools that Umile could use to attack vulnerable virtual machines. So she's building a toolkit um, of skills that she can take back uh, into her field of, of study and, and hopefully we'll use those as she moves into her uh, professional work as well. So, Well, thank you guys for joining us. I think this is a really interesting topic and uh, thanks for your hard work on it, Umile. Thank you for having us. All right, Joe, so I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this uh, week, and uh, no surprising changes. The weather's been about the same as it has been for the past couple of weeks, so no major changes. Um, this is the most probed ports in terms of volume. A lot of these ports we talk about all the time, Telnet, SSH, a lot of the IoT stuff scanning, Microsoft SQL Server jumped up two spots here. Um, 81 TCP we're gonna take a closer look at, but it's a little bit more applicable in the next chart. Um, where the scan number of scan sources were involved because it is botnet related. Um, 445 TCP is your Windows file sharing. Uh, a lot of the WannaCry stuff still lingering on or other uh, malware trying to exploit that same vulnerability. 5555 TCP we talk about a lot. We're gonna look at this also, but more so with the botnet related activity because this is that Android debugger port. Um, web. You got your remote desktop protocol. And then lastly, the one that we will take a look at in terms of sheer scan volume is 8545 TCP, which is that Ethereum wallet. Uh, so in terms of the most sources probing, the ones we're gonna kind of focus, well, we'll talk about a few here. I put some ticks next to some of the ones that we're gonna take a, 
uh, closer look at. But 8080 TCP, we've talked about the past few weeks now. That is related to the GPON router vulnerability. And um, there is a lot of activity there, but nothing remarkably changed. And actually, none of these have really changed a lot. They're all basically exactly the same, where the position they were before, except 21 and 22 switch places. So the top 10 really has not changed in terms of most sources probing. So it's not a really big change. We're going to take a look at the Android one, and we're going to take a look at 81 TCP, and I'll explain why that is. Um, FTP shows up in here as well. We talked about that as well. I didn't get a chart on it, but there are actors, bad actors out there looking for open anonymous FTP servers that they might be able to dump malware on in hopes that somebody else will take it and run it, or um, even the owner of the thing. Maybe it's a Windows server that's running FTP. They might browse and click and run it or something. Uh, there's one particular actor who likes to do that. Uh, so this is the uh, activity for port 8545, which is the Ethereum GETH um, program. GETH is the name of the software that's a digital wallet. And there was a vulnerability that came out sometime last year, I think it was, um, that would allow you or allow an attacker, if this was exposed to the internet, to steal their um, cryptocurrency, their Ethereum cryptocurrency out of their wallet. It's not a lot of sources doing it, but they've kind of consistently been hovering around 100 million scan flows per hour. You can see, like, when you see these really, like, constant levels here, these steps that are, it usually means that there's not a lot of individual sources, but they continuously scan all the time at a pretty consistent rate. Um, and that's what we're seeing here. Uh, there was an event that occurred, uh, this is from June 13th, so only about a month or month and a half ago, that $20 million was stolen via this method. So they actually mentioned here, the hackers were scanning IP addresses to see if they had port 8545 open. Port is used by GE to communicate with the Ethereum network, and uh, there is a vulnerability there that allows you to steal the digital currency from people who expose that to the internet, which I would not recommend. Uh, so here's the Android debug bridge. Uh, we talked about this one as well on the show uh, before. There was a recent spike here that we're pretty sure is related to the Satori malware family. The Satori malware family, it's uh, kind of a next generation derivative of Mirai. And uh, that recently started, it added this into its repertoire of exploit techniques to look for devices. So uh, right around here we saw it. Um, it's been kind of up and down, but you can see we had kind of a consistent level for a long time, and Satori came along, and that really changed the traffic shape of the number of scan sources. Went from maybe like 5,000 to 6,000 as a steady state here, up to 55,000, so almost a tenfold increase um, is what we're seeing. And this was just some um, 360 NetLab. They had a little discussion on their Twitter feed about that they picked up that Satori was scanning for port 5555 and some other people discussing it as well. So I'm pretty sure that's what was going on there. And we've actually seen it ourselves in our honeypots. Um, so 81 TCP, uh, we, were talk we were talking about that at the beginning here. Yeah. Um, this is a two-year chart because I wanted to show what, what it was like before. So prior to like the middle of uh, April-ish, late April, early May, uh, all of a sudden, we had a huge spike in the number of sources scanning for this. And this is when this yeah. vulnerability was discovered on the GoAhead web server. So the GoAhead web server is kind of like a, a little tiny embedded software package that um, I think it's like a public uh, shareware kind of thing. I'm not positive on 
like what its licensing is. But a lot of uh, these vendors use it, especially on like those home-based DVR systems and things like that. That's the web server that runs the front-end interface. It's a very lightweight, uh, simple web server. And uh, there's a remote code execution vulnerability that was discovered. Once that was discovered, a lot of people started scanning for these. Yeah. A lot of times it's sitting on port 81. Uh, so that's why they're looking for it. And that's why we see a big rush here. And um, we've been seeing this kind of very slow incline. But you can see yeah. it's kind of been trending upward over the past um, year or so, uh, it looks like. So uh, It's interesting because that's a pretty unused port in general, whereas some of the more prominent scanning we see on, you know, fairly common ports, but right. 81 is not really other than... Yeah, 81 is not super common. Yeah, uh, we don't normally see it show up unless some vulnerability like right. this was discovered. This shows us that when there's a known vulnerability, so we know that there's a vulnerability with the go-ahead webcams that sit on port 81, that there's even more scanning targeted at that port than something which is the standard web port on port 80. So uh, kind of an interesting trend there. I pulled up this uh, article that actually was from April 26. They talked about the fact that a new IoT botnet is spreading over this port, um, looking for security cameras running the go-ahead web server. So um, that's a good correlation to that time frame when we saw the big spike in activity there. Um, and it's been continuing. There's a lot of other actors that have added this in to their malware to scan for this port and do this exploit. It's another really simple one to do. Um, as long as you have the resources to scan the internet at large and try to find these devices. And that's all we had for this week. Cool. Thanks, John. Really interesting. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.